I wanted to um, discuss Yemei Chabad uh, about the 20th day of Menachem Av. Uh, that's the your site of Hagoen Hakodesh Amakubal. He was a genius, a brilliant, brilliant man. He was also a very fluent, knowledgeable, and the mystical in the Kabbalah of the uh, hidden parts of the secrets of the Torah. He was like beyond anything, you know, just knew all the Kabbalah. And on top of that, he was a righteous and a very holy tzaddik person. And he was uh, the rabbi in the city of Yekaterinoslav, uh, known as the Nepepetrovsk. That's what it's called uh, now. Um, and his day of passing, his yurtzeit, is on the 20th day of Av, Achof Av, his day is Achof Av. It's, uh, this year it comes out on Shabbat, and the Shabbos is the 20th day of, of Av. Now, he was, as many others, um, suffered greatly under Stalin's henchmen. And um, he was a rabbi who worked very hard to save Yiddishkeit to continue Judaism under the most difficult and possible circumstances because you had a few rabbis and a few uh, people that Hasidim that they decided that no matter what they have to keep up the tradition and Mesiris Nefesh which means self-sacrifice total dedication for the cause even at the price of their life, of their freedom, they didn't care. They said they have to do. And the Rabgoin Rablev Yitzchak, the father of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, he was one of those people, one of those few people who stood up and he fought for Yiddishkeit till the last moment, until they actually arrested him and they punished him and they send them away into far away places. They sent them to uh, uh, he actually originally he was um, um, sent to um, trying to remember the exact name of the place over here where he was sent to um, he was in Chiali, he was in place, he was in a place called Chiali. I'm not sure exactly where that is, but that was a God-forsaken, uh, that was a place in the Boonlands. It was just no man's land. It was very physically, it was impossible. The Rebetzin describes in some places uh, the conditions, the living conditions, just the physical living conditions with the bugs and with the annoying in the heat. It was just impossible. There was no Jews over there. There was nobody. He was a great rabbi. There was no books. There was no nothing to study, nothing to he remembered. He was remembered everything in his hand. His mind was like a brilliant and the Rebetzin his wife came to be with him where he was. She brought him a few books and she also went and made up uh, ink from grass, she learned how to make some kind of writing material. 
he would write around the rim of the books that he had, a few books. He had a Tanya, he had a, a Zohar, he had a few, what a few books that he had with him. He would sit and write all of his notes in little tiny letters. He was like a fountain, an endless ideas coming out all the time, all the time, all the time. Now, eventually, in the year Tavshin Dalid, that was 1944, okay, he broken and weakened from all of his experience. He finally came to the uh, capital of Kazakhstan, which was Almaty, no, Almata. But it appeared like he became, that was a big city, it was already uh, allowed some freedoms over there, it was freedom and everything else, and he was like, seemed like he has come to a point in his life in which he's finally able to uh, sort of uh, relax a little bit and be able to live his life in a half normal way. But just this relaxation brought about the... Rebbe Yitzchok was diagnosed with, with cancer, with that thing. And um, it seems like during the troubles that he had in Chiali, in this place over there, because of all of the, the difficulties, that sickness stopped spreading. It was just sort of kept on hold. There was so much other tsuris over there that also the, the sickness was in tsuris and it didn't, it didn't hurt him. But unfortunately, when he came to the um, sort of comfort now, that sickness once again uh, raised its ugly head and it started doing terrible things to the Rebbe's physical. And um, the doctors tried to, um, to save him, to do something for him, but the condition became worse from day to day. And during his last day, he was so weak, he said to one of the bystanders, he showed him his hand, he says, look, there's only bones and uh, there's no... There's no meat over there. It's just so deteriorated. And actually, in his last day before he passed away, he um, he asked for some water and washed his hands. And he sort of said, "It's time to move over to the other side. You know, to go to the other side." And this was on a Wednesday, the twentieth day of Menachem of. He became so so worse, and uh, he suffered terrible pains. He was in tremendous agony, uh, and he kept on whispering the whole time. People tried to listen to what he said, and he was sort of whispering about the difficulties that the Jewish people are experiencing at the heels of Mashiach and all the all the the, the hardships. And um, they made a um, next day, uh, the twenty-first day above. They made the funeral for him. And um, it's interesting that his wife, the Rebbe Tzanchana, who was with him the whole time, um, was sort of uh, quiet. She accepted it. She controlled her emotions after his passing. But during the funeral, she was like totally um, lost it. And, um, and she was sort of saying, you know, you left us alone. Who did you leave me with? And... Um, 
it was um, under those conditions. It was really um, uh, impressive to see that how all the people of the community over there came to the funeral. It was dangerous. Still, it was uh, uh, everybody was sort of coming in secret, and they were coming just to be there with him and give him his last respects and. Um, after many years, they were able to save a lot of his writings. When the Rebetzin, his wife, the Rebetzin Chana, came to this country, that's a whole story by itself, how they snuck out and how they finally came over here. So when they finally came to this country, she brought along those books that the Levi Yitzchak, what he wrote on those books. And they took, and the Rebbe later on, they... Uh, published those again they are the average person who is not familiar with the Kabbalah even if you are learned like in the other verse in the other parts of Torah but if you're not well well versed in the Kabbalah uh, you have a hard time reading and understanding his books and you know people have made attempts to actually uh, explain the Rebbe would explain a piece of the of his father's writings, you know, from time to time at the uh, public gatherings. And, uh, but it's fascinating to see how the person's mathematical skills also, he would uh, come up with these uh, numerical values of certain words and how it equals and how it, 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 it fits in. And uh, it's also very uh, telling uh, later on also the correspondence between the Rebbe and his father, um, I mean, this goes back earlier years. Uh, the Rebbe, in 1927, 28, he left Russia. Uh, here we're talking already 1944, we're talking about, we're talking about, so there was a time, uh, like in the middle, the Rebbe used to write to his uh, father back and forth, and very scholarly letter, letters, but also very, uh, very Kabbalistic, um, and it's interesting, in one of those letters, the Rebbe's father writes to the Rebbe, he says, I appreciate very much your insight and your brilliance, and you know, you're really uh, making me very proud with your ability of analysis, but the Rebbe makes, uh, his father makes to him one observation. He says, you should base your analysis that it should also be fitting in with the Chochmas HaKabola, with the mystical part of Torah. That's how, if it fits in with the mystical, then you know that what you're saying is actually accurate because it fits into the whole picture. It was, it's amazing how the, the, his father was also praying so much for the Rebbe and blessing him to have children. You know, the Rebbe didn't have any children. He was always praying for him and always wishing him and giving him the best and it was a, a very special um, connection you know if we want to learn a lot of times you want to learn what does it mean to respect you know how do we respect a parent and you look from the Rebbe you can learn anything you see the Rebbe's respect to his father and cherishes and then his mother the Rebbe being as busy as he was and the uh, never missed a day of going to visit his mother. Every single day, he'd have tea with his mother. He'd make sure, and he'd, he'd, he'd give her the attention, give her the time, and um, 
also when the Rebbe's brother passed away, he lived in England at the time, the Rebbe continued to correspond with his mother as if it was the brother. He didn't want his mother's health. He didn't want her to feel she was ill and he didn't want her to uh, suffer more. So he pretended to be the brother and he would keep on sending her postcards as if the brother's still alive, not to let her know, not to cause her any more uh, pain or suffering from that. So we can just learn, just even the simple derecheret, simple way how to behave and what it means to uh, to, to give respect and uh, you know it's it's something that you know we don't almost experience that that <laughs> that much. Um,